Well, we continue today and finish uh, our series on the great stories of the Bible. And today we're coming to look at Jonah and the whale. Jonah, you know, uh, was told by God to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. Noah thought that was, not Noah, Jonah uh, thought that was absolutely a horrible idea. And so Jonah said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to Hapa, board a ship going to Tarshish, and I'm going to get away from God. God said, go east. Jonah said, I'm heading west. You know, when it's not us that's doing it, it's really kind of funny to watch somebody fight with God, isn't it? Fight with God, run from God, debate God. We've all done it. I mean, have you ever done the math on that? How exactly do you anticipate that's going to work out? You know, we're going to run and hide from God. But that is what Jonah did. You know, when we come to this story, Jonah and and the whale, we come to a story and a miracle, maybe more so than than all the others in the Bible, that that people struggle with the most. Maybe are quickest to dismiss as as just a fairy tale, as as just myth. As a matter of fact, we had a... uh, uh, a, a child that goes here to our church, a third grader, I, I believe, that was at school this week and heard me an, announce last week that we were going to be talking about Jonah and the whale today. And he told his teacher, hey, at, at church, we're going to be studying Jonah and the whale this week. And the teacher said something I thought was a little bit inappropriate, uh, said, well, now, you know, that's that's not a true story. That, that, did, that didn't really happen. That's a, a myth or a fairy tale. And the the, the little boy said, well, it, it did too happen. It happened just like it said in the Bible. And uh, one day I'm going to get to go to heaven and I'm going to be able to talk to Jonah about that. And um, it just it, it, and uh, it, it, it gets worse. And so the uh, the teacher, the teacher saying something I, th- I think would be really inappropriate, said, uh, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah went to the other place? The student thought for a second and said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) Now, that that didn't happen. I'm I'm sorry. I lied. Uh, It's a good email joke, though, isn't it? That works pretty good. Uh, But folks, clearly, I think you all know what I'm talking about. Of all the stories in the Bible, that is one that is, is pretty quickly dismissed as, as a myth, as, as fairy tale. But now there's another group of people. Uh, and I think, it's, I think this group can be made up of, of certainly unbelievers. I think sometimes it can even be made up of believers. And they want to give some kind of credence to the Bible. You know, it's, it's an important book. It's a, it's a good book. It's one of the, you know, the very significant religious books in human history. And so, you know, they don't want to say, oh, that didn't happen or that's not true. Now, they don't believe it. They, they don't believe something like that could happen, but they don't want to say that. So they go, man, they just go around the barn trying to figure out how they can explain things as some kind of natural phenomena. You see this a good bit on, on the Discovery Channel and the History Channel. As a matter of fact, I think it was two Sundays ago I preached on uh, uh, Moses and the Burning Bush. And that very next week I, I, I was flipping around and I stopped on the Discovery Channel. They were, they were doing something on 
the burning bush. And that show was doing exactly what I just described. They were trying to come up with some natural explanation. You know, we, we want to say it's true. We want to say that what, what Moses wrote here was, was genuine and true. And, and, and so they say, well, the, the, the bush probably caught fire because there's these lava fields, uh, lava streams that flow underneath the ground. And, you know, out in this area of the world, there's this certain bush that will burn. It'll burn for an extended period of time without burning up. They want to come up with some kind of explanation to quote-unquote say we think this story is true, but they want to explain it in a way that leaves an all-powerful God out of the equation. They don't want God a part of it. They want a natural explanation for it. And Jonah and the whale is certainly one of those stories that, that draws us to do that. I saw once, I read a story that, that uh, they had, a man had survived in the belly of a, of a fish, of a whale... Uh, for some amount of time, I don't remember what the story said, it was a long time ago, and, and, and it said, and this is proof, this is, this is proof that Jonah and the whale could have happened. You know, folks, that's not proof of anything. You, you let me explain Jonah and the whale and how it happened. Very simple, put to bed all the debate and discussion, just takes four words. You ready for this? It was a miracle. Uh, you know what that means? You know what a miracle is? It means it's not explainable. It's not repeatable. In some cases, it may make no sense at all. It was a miracle. The Bible doesn't preach that people live in the belly of fish for three days unless God just chooses to make that happen. And that's what God chose to do in this moment right here. An all-powerful God. There's no natural way to explain that except that's just what God did. Now, let me throw the real curveball at you. Because this story of Jonah is not about a whale. It's not about a miracle. The story of Jonah is about God's call on Jonah's life, God's call on your life to go. To go and to share that good news we just sang about that Jesus saves. Look with me in the book of Jonah. Turn with me to chapter 1 there at the beginning of Jonah. This is a tough book to find. Man, it's in the back quarter of your Old Testament. It's surrounded by a bunch of books that are only a few pages long. So it's real easy to flip right by it. You got Amos and Obadiah on one side and Nahum and Micah on the other. Or Micah and Nahum. You're thinking, I don't know those guys either. But uh, it's there. You may just want to go straight to your table of contents. Uh, if you use one of our Bibles there in the chairs, uh, you'll look in the bulletin, you'll see the page number. Jonah chapter 1, let's look at verse 1. It says there that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And if you go on to read the rest of chapter 1, you'll see him get on board a ship. That ship will head out to the high seas and a great storm is going to come upon the high seas. A, a storm so great that everybody on the ship is fearing for their life, counting on dying. This is it. We're not going to survive this one. And in kind of an, I, I guess you would say somewhat of an honorable moment... Uh, Jonah steps up and says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure this storm is because of me. I, I'm running from God and uh, you're, you're probably not going to live unless you throw me overboard. And they said, well, let us pray about it. Amen. And they threw him overboard. <laughs> and would you believe the storm stopped right then? Look at verse uh, 17. 
of chapter 1. Then the Lord, Jonah's been thrown overboard. Then the Lord appointed, now, now mark that word, if it's your Bible anyway. If it's not your Bible, then uh, we'll just mark it up here in your mind somewhere. But don't use a pen, because that'll look stupid when you leave, okay? The Lord appointed, now that's going to be a key word. There's just something significant happening there. I'll get back to it in a moment. Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. It says a great fish, never actually uses the word whale. More than likely, that's what it was. Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. You think, gosh, what do you, I wonder what you do in a fish for three days and three nights. Well, I'm guessing, like Jonah, I'm going to do what verse 1 of chapter 2 says. Jonah prayed. Yeah, I bet that would increase your prayer life, wouldn't it? I guess that would get you talking to God. And the rest of chapter 2 is about Jonah's, or one of Jonah's prayers in the belly of the fish. And then look at verse 10. One of my favorite verses. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you know, of all my goals in life, I would just love to be a part of a large animal's vomit. I mean, what an, what an exciting moment. I said it was a miracle. I didn't say it was clean. I didn't say it was pretty. And so now imagine, if you will, I mean, I don't know how you imagine this. You're laying on the beach. You are not covered in. You actually are puke. Now that's how you read the next verse in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Remember, he's laying on the dirt, laying in the sand. The wash is coming up. He's... Okay, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up. Yeah, he went to Nineveh this time, funny enough. You know, I, you know, I love that phrase, a second time the word of the Lord came to him. You know, it's, it's almost like I can hear God saying here to Jonah, Jonah, I, do I have your attention now? We, we, we still going to run around in the fishbowl here? You still want to play that little game? And Jonah says, no, 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 I got it this time. I'm heading to Nineveh, I'm going to go. And so we see him take off and and head to Nineveh. You know, folks, maybe before we go any further in the story, we need to ask ourselves the question, does God need to get our attention? Not not just in general on, on anything. Does God need to get our attention on the call to go? Because you see, you have a call just like Jonah on your life to go. You may be thinking, I, whoa, whoa, time out. I, I've never even heard of Nineveh. I, I, I don't even know where it is. I don't, I don't think I have that call on, on my life. Oh, yeah, you do. Man, your Savior. You remember that one we just sang about that saves us? He called you to go. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You see, just as God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's called you to go to the nations. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I mean, how, how do I do that? I mean, I, I'm just I'm just trying to pay bills. I'm, I'm trying to raise a family. I've got a job. How, how do I go to the nations? Well, folks, that's one of the reasons God's put a church here. And that's what we want to be about here at Colonial Heights Baptist. We want this church to be a place that helps you. Yes, as you're raising a family, as you're paying bills, as you're going to work. But while you're doing all that, helps you and aids you in going to the nations of the world with this good message. And you know what? I believe there is a way as you're doing all those things you need to do that every week of your life, just by your prayers and by your giving, you can be a part of going to the nations 
every week of your life. And we want to be a place that provides places for you to go out into our country, out into our world with your own feet and actually go and carry that message. Folks, wouldn't it be a great prayer, a great dream for Colonial Heights Baptist that one day we could say, you know what, not not a lot of people have gone. What if we could say one day, most of us in this room said yes. Most of, most of us, most of us in this room have gone. Folks, Jesus Christ is returning. Do you believe that? Yes, yes we believe that. And when he gets back, I want him to find me doing what he told me to be doing when he left the first time. You know the last thing he said? Go. Go. Let's be found obedient when he returns. Now Jonah does go. He got the message. He goes the second time. He goes to Nineveh. Nineveh, are you ready for this? They listen. They, they listen to Jonah's preaching. They repent. They change their ways. Man, Jonah must have been ecstatic, so excited, except that he wasn't. He wasn't excited at all. Look at, look at what happens here. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased. I mean, he's passionate about this. He is greatly displeased and became furious. And he prayed to the Lord one of the most ridiculous prayers you'll ever hear or read in your life, especially coming out of the Bible. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew you were a merciful God. Probably never thought you'd hear somebody, you know, accusing God. You're just too merciful. That's what your problem is. Look at this. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate. You're, you're slow to become angry. Can you imagine? This is somebody praying and accusing God. You're rich in faithful love. You're one who relents from sending disaster. Now, in case you're not sure just how mad Jonah is, look at verse 3. And now, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? That's a fancy way of saying, you are kidding me. Really? You just prayed that? Now why? Why, why would Jonah be so upset? Why would he utter a prayer like that, have a, a feeling like that? Or maybe the bigger question is, why didn't he want to go? Why did he not want to obey the Lord in that call to go? Well, I think from this story and as you study history and kind of research Jonah's life, the, 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 the life of Israel at that time, there's at least three reasons that Jonah didn't want to go, that Jonah's angry right here. Number one, he's prejudiced. Now, folks, you've got to realize as we look at these reasons, this, God didn't give us this book so we'd learn something about Jonah. Jonah's reasons for not going are all of our reasons for not going. Some of us are prejudiced. We don't, we don't like a certain people group. We don't like a certain skin color. We don't, we don't like going somewhere that's not like us. And, and so we don't like them. We're prejudiced. A second reason, a little bit different, is he didn't think they were deserving of the good news. And you can clearly get that from the prayer. He didn't want them to be saved. You see, the Ninevites actually were really bad people. I mean, I mean, they were awful. I mean, they, they were very wicked. They were evil. They, they brought a lot of bad things on, on the world and on the nations that were around them. They're the kind of people you look at and say, man, they, they deserve God's judgment. 
And so really in these first two reasons, you've got Jonah kind of standing back over here and he's looking over there in Nineveh. And, and, and part of it's prejudice, part of it is the, the evil of that nation. And literally he's standing here and you know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what, they, they can just go to hell. Now, you know what, folks, most of us are not going to utter a phrase like that about a person, about a people group. But do our actions actually utter that? Does our lack of concern, our lack of interest, our lack of obedience in going, doesn't that kind of say they, they can just go to hell? By the way, folks, that number two right there, that's what being judgmental is. You know, there's that verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not judge, lest ye be judged. It's the most well-known verse among sinners and unbelievers. The only verse in the Bible they can quote. You know, every time you tell them something's wrong, Oh, you're not supposed to judge! Folks, it's not being judgmental to call sin, sin. It is never wrong to tell somebody that is sin. It's destructive to your life. It's destructive to the people around you. It's wrong. That's not being judgmental. Judgmentalism often is because is when we don't say anything to them. Well, you know, they're just bad. They're just rotten. And we'll stop there. But what we're saying is they can just go to hell. That's being judgmental. When ultimately we won't bring the good news. We won't tell them what God thinks and what God can do. We leave them in their lostness. Now there's a third reason that, that Jonah uh, doesn't want to go. And that's because his own comfort level, his own life is of higher priority to him. Look at the rest of chapter 4 here. Look at verse 5. Jonah left the city and he sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and he sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed. Now there's that word again. Remember we saw that back in chapter 1? Remember God appointed the great fish? Now we see here that God appointed a plant. And it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. There was a miracle here. It reads very quickly, but the plant grew in one day. Just as God appointed and sent a whale to do something, God appointed this plant now to do something, and it grew up in one day. Look at verse 7. When dawn came the next day, God... Well, there's that word again. God appointed a worm. You know, it's interesting. We never hear... You know, we've heard of Jonah and the whale. We never hear of Jonah and the plant. You don't ever hear the great story about Jonah and the worm... But just as God appointed the whale, he appoints the plant. Now, when dawn came the next day, God appoints the worm. What does the worm do? The worm attacks the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God, there it is the fourth time, God appointed a scorching east wind. You know, I'm starting to get the feeling that God's actually in control of nature. Are you getting that? I mean, what do we got here? He's in control of weather. He's in control of animals. He's in control of plants. And apparently the plants and the animals and the weather are all smarter than us because they actually do what God tells them to do. God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, again, it's better for me to live than to die. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord replied, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left? 
Now, what, what's happening here with, with God? God clearly has a plant grow for an illustration. He wants to teach Jonah something, and he brings that lesson home there at the end. So what just happened there? God is pointing out to Jonah. He said, Jonah, do you see the compassion, the interest you have, the passion for this plant? Because it brought you comfort, it did something good for you. Do you see that? Now, now Jonah, you didn't create that plant. That, that plant's not a product of you. And, and, and Jonah, the plant's temporary. I mean, you know, yeah, I caused it to die quickly, but whether that plant you know, lives for a day or a week or whether that plant lives for 10 years, it's temporary. Do you see the interest, the devotion you have in something you didn't create and is totally temporary? Then why would you not think I would have passion and interest in something I did create, a human being. And that human being, Jonah, is not temporary. That human being is eternal. Jonah, you have more interest in a plant than in the eternal destiny of 120,000 people that I created. Now, in the story, folks, it's about a plant. But the story's there to challenge all of us. Folks, think about it. How much do you think about the eternal destiny of the people around you? And how does that compare to the amount of time you spend thinking about the important meeting, the big trip you still got this year, that, that problem at work, your finances? And folks, I'm not saying those things aren't important. And I'm not saying they don't need your thought and your interest and your, your care. I'm saying when you look at how much you and I think about things that are utterly temporary, they do end. How does that compare to the amount of time we spend thinking about human souls that are forever and ever and ever? Everyone lives forever. There's no question about that. The only question is where. And God cares about the where. See, Jonah knew. Jonah knew God was compassionate. Jonah knew God had a heart for the nations. Jonah knew God wants to see people saved. And he didn't care. Why didn't he care? Ah, because, you know, I'm struggling with prejudice over here. Or I just think those are bad, mean people over there. Or, you know what? The, because my life's about taking care of my stuff. Folks, the book of Jonah is here to... Because God's telling you and me, whatever the reason might be, those three or one we haven't mentioned... God is saying, you know what? I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with your prejudice. I'm not okay with your judgmentalism. And I didn't give you life so you could get absorbed in yourself. God has called us to go. And folks, Colonial Heights Baptist has its primary purpose to be a place that enables you and provides for you and motivates and encourages you to go. Alone, together, all of us to be a part of going. That's why we are so much encouraging and trying to motivate toward this global impact conference. Folks, I just said a moment ago, God has a heart for the nations. How are you and I, how am I going to have a heart for what God has a heart for if I never learn, if I never understand, if I never put myself in a place to see what God is doing in the world? I'm not going to have a heart for what God has a heart for without that. That's what this conference is about. It's about putting myself in a place where I can grow and I can learn and I can understand and my heart can begin to be molded to what God has a heart for. 
Folks, at the very minimum, I think I can say this. You have to be here Wednesday night and Sunday. Those two events alone, at the very minimum, I'm sure you've got a million incredibly important things to do this week. Already have plans in certain places. You've got to be here Wednesday night. You've got to be here next Sunday. Incredible time of worship and celebration as we see what God is doing in our world. And as we meet missionaries, as we begin to give ourselves a place to have a heart for the nations. I would certainly encourage you, beyond the bare minimum, grab a hold of one more of those events. You're not going to have a heart for what God has a heart for without doing it. It's just not going to happen. It won't happen. Put yourself in a place where that can happen. Now this coming week, Wednesday to Sunday, is really going to be about moving forward into the future as we seek to answer God's call to go. But folks, just by way of illustration, I want us to take a few moments right now to see, look backwards and see how you've gone, you have gone to Nineveh in the last year. You, Colonial Heights Baptist, have done an incredible job of going through your prayers, through your giving, and, and through your going. I'm going to ask Wes Rose, our missions pastor, uh, to come on up and he's going to be bringing some folks with him. And while they're coming up here, would you turn your attention to the screen? Oh, that was a that was incredible to see to see the pictures over there from uh, from from our trip to Peru. What I've done is I as I have a couple guys here, three guys here. They're going to share a little bit about what they've done, what they experienced, and, and really how God has really changed their life through through going on a mission trip. And they're going to tell a little bit of their story, and um, we're going to have missionaries coming in here. We're going to have missionaries coming in here this. Uh, this week, but right now we have some of our own that have gone out this past summer. And so first I'm going to have Christian Arce come in and just share. Um, oh, it's loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard about the mission trip about this time last year, and I really wanted to go. I talked to my mom about it, and so we signed up for it. And as time went on, I got really nervous about it. I've never been on a mission trip before, and... I was just like, I don't know if I really want to go. You know, I did research and I saw that, you know, the villages are really poor and, you know, it's not really clean and it's not what I'm used to. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, but I just prayed and, and I ended up going and it was the richest, best experience of my life. Um, I got to share the gospel with kids that had nothing and they were so happy and accepting of everything. Um, I I got to work with people that, I never thought I would work with all over the country. Um, I just got, I saw, I saw God work in so many ways. It's like, it's crazy. Um, and on mission trip, you can see the whole body of Christ working in one place. You know, the church where a body of Christ is, like I said, last service. Um, mission trip, you can see leaders there, like people being leaders, which represented, which represents the, the, Head of Christ, you can see people walking, which is the legs of Christ, people helping people, the, the hands, people speaking, which is the mouth and listening, the ears. You, know, you just see God working so well in, in all over the world, and people are so accepting of it. And it changed my life in ways I can't even begin to imagine. Like, it's, it's, it's just awesome, and it's brought a joy to my heart. And um, I, I encourage everybody to to go on mission trip because it'll change your life. Thank you, Christian. Um, 
Yeah, Christian was part of the, uh, the International World Changers trip that we took to, uh, to Juan Cayo, Peru this year, and we've done several of those. Uh, Jerry, through the youth ministry, really wants to get uh, the youth to ha have an opportunity to go overseas at least once during their high school years. But this, uh, this trip was a little bit unique because they were going to, uh, the strategy in the field was to, was to get medical personnel and youth together uh, because they had some very specific things they wanted to do. And so Kirby's going to represent the medical personnel that was teamed up with our youth for the first time that I, World Changers had done this. And uh, he's going to share a little bit about how, that, how the, bringing those two together helped the field strategy. Hola. <laughs> Buenos dias a todos. Which means good morning, everyone. The people of Peru were some of the friendliest people I've ever met. From the time we arrived in the airport through our hotel, uh, they were just loving, kind, real personable people, and they like to get right up in your face to talk. <laughs> the missionaries had a problem, though. In the villages around the city of Huancayo, which was our operations base, people didn't want missionaries to come. Uh, there, were, there were some groups that were opposing them, and they needed a way to get into people's homes. You see, because in Peru, the center of society, what everything is built about, is the home. Actually, everybody works in Peru. There's really not a lot of social support systems, and no one can access the very nice health care system that they've built because nobody can afford to go to the doctor. As a matter of fact, I didn't find a single patient with a prescription drug in their possession when I went to their house. So the missionaries came up with the idea of, of combining world changers with a medical mission group. The medical mission group, I want you to know, was created out of this church. Uh, based here, with Debbie Boykin's help, we were able to put together an outstanding pharmacy that took about 12 suitcases to carry, um, four physicians, several nurse practitioners, and we put together five groups. Put up my first slide, please. There were 100 people in the mission team. Each group had about 20 people, and this was my team, Team One. And you can see uh, some of the most outstanding people you ever meet there, like uh, my son, Luke. Um, right next to him is uh, John, my interpreter. Um, Christian's up there. It was just a great bunch, of, great bunch of folks. We get to be really close. And I want you to know right there, you're seeing a, a team that was already on, on the field three days. We were a very efficient, uh, elite group to be able to provide uh, initial medical treatment, pharmacy support, health and evangelism, so we'd go in and talk to them about the cleanliness of their house, uh, health needs they might have, and also there was an outreach team that would go out and play with the children in the, in the playground, the community. And so we, this is a complete package. And also going with us, were the local missionaries, which were Peruvian, uh, who would follow up on the visits we made and be able to, to work on the contacts and, and to build churches out of the contacts that we made. The, the missionaries' goal was to have 30, that's 30 salvations out of this uh, week's trip. So let's see what happened. Let's go on a house call together. My job, of course, as being a, a family physician was to go in and make house calls. And this was on the first day. Uh, we went to this young lady's house, and she had arthritis of her knees, and we were able to help her with some Advil uh, and some vitamins and also treated everybody. Everybody I saw got treated for worms. 
because the roundworm is very endemic in this area. And then this fellow, uh, number 131, showed up, and he's actually a Peruvian international marathon runner who trains up in the mountains because we're, we're up at about 12,000 feet here. That's uh, three times the height of Denver. And so he runs and trains there and comes and blows people away at sea level. Uh, but he, had a, he, had a, he, he, he was an amazing runner. Uh, he had tensor fasciolata, so I was able to help him with his knee. Uh, very kind people. Next. Uh, this is the kind of conditions. This was the standard. Uh, people had a courtyard in their house. Um, you can see it was very dry conditions, and there was always uh, a little shade in the middle, of the, on the edge of the courtyard. And usually there were potatoes stacked up, and uh, that was their food supply. And then we'd, I'd sit on a stool. That was my stool, the white stool. <laughs> it's nice. And I would I would talk to the people. And, and the, the lady here in the pink sweater uh, was had excessive thirst, a lot of urination. I did a blood sugar on it. It was over 300. So we were able to get her treatment. She'd, she couldn't afford her medicines, but we were able to get her some treatment. Next. This little man in the brown and red shirt, a very sweet little man, but the, just before I saw him in there, uh, a roundworm had come out of his nose. So his diagnosis was pretty simple. Uh, so that's a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's endemic. I expected it. Uh, it's Strongyloides tachyreus, which is the roundworm. And, and almost every child I saw was infected with that. And we treated every one that we contacted. As a matter of fact, uh, I think we treated over 450 people for worms on our trip. Uh, the, the mother there was holding a child with an earache. And uh, she, was, she was very, very glad that we came in. And these people were very open. And they, they let us into their house. And then uh, I'd prescribe the medicines. I'd hand the prescriptions off to my, my pharmacy team, which was Luke and Seth. They would go in and provide them with the medications. And then the health and evangelism team would follow and uh, share the gospel. Um, next. Uh, this little lady who's sitting down, the old lady, had, had seen us on the first day and wanted us to come see her. But I, I said, manana, we have to come back tomorrow. And uh, from, from the... From that, during the night, uh, when I went back to see her, she had fallen. Because the, where these people live, I mean, it's just a nightmare from a geriatrics point of view because they have stone courtyards with all kinds of rough stone in the middle, right? So it's just, I mean, if you could design a place for an old person to fall and break their hip, this would be it. And that's exactly what she did. She had fallen in her own living room, busted her hip on a stone, and... Uh, the nice man in the blue shirt was her neighbor, and uh, we were able to arrange transportation for her to the hospital to get her hip pinned. Uh, Miguel, who's on your right, is the local pastor, and he's uh, one of the ones that I mentioned who is going to follow up and build churches out of the people that uh, uh, put their faith in Christ. Uh, he was very excited. I'm going to tell you a little story about him in just a second. Next. Uh, this is in Mata Chico, which is the other town we went to. And this man had a painful elbow. He had tennis elbow. It had been hurting him for over a year. Uh, he had seen the local doctor, but I gave him a shot in his elbow, and he had immediate relief, which was very gratifying. I had brought along shots and injections with me. Uh, so they, they, they liked that. Next. Uh, this was a, a fascinating spiritual case. The lady in the brown sweater was having panic attacks, nervousness, anxiety, uh, aching, uh, and just couldn't get hold of her nerves. Um, so we, we sat and listened to her for a long time. That's her husband next to her. But we, we uh, shared the gospel with her, uh, shared Christ with her, and about that, that, that faith 
is the answer to her problem, and only through Jesus Christ. And she understood that and, it, and, and admitted that she needed Jesus. We, she prayed to receive Christ, and we prayed that the spirit of fear and anxiety would leave her. And when we followed up on her the next day, she had the biggest smile you ever saw and was very happy. Uh, and she joined the church, actually. Next. Oh, and see the courtyard there before we move from that slide? Um, you see how dry everything is? Uh, the people would actually take manure and put it up on the walls to let the sun dry on it because that's what they would use to cook with. Uh, the living spaces back behind them, uh, that's where they live all year. Uh, and they're proud of these houses. They all have corrugated tin roofs, uh, but they're, 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 they're very prideful, self-sufficient uh, people. Uh, and it made me ashamed when I compare my house to what they live in uh, to think how much I have. All right, next picture. And then this is just a, a picture of how grateful people were that we were there. They, they, these little girls were so happy that we came to play with them and share go the gospel and give them more medicine and vitamins. Uh, and they were very, very grateful. So we made uh, the, the five teams that went visited over 207 homes. Uh, we visited, we, we prescribed for over 360 people. And actually, worm medicine, I gave out a lot more, over 400. Uh, the missionaries have been hoping for 30 salvations, and uh, we had 122. Amen. Thank you. But I want to share one, one little thing I didn't share in the first service. Uh, in, in the second day in the um, town of Akoya, I'd gotten to a crossroads. Uh, the health and evangelism team was back on a house I'd been to. I'd given prescriptions, and the, and the pharmacy team was in the previous house. And I was by myself, and I was at a crossroads. And I said, I looked down, there were some fields and houses, and I could go to the right, and there were some houses. And I said, Lord, what direction do you want me to go? you want me to go straight, or do you want me to take a right? And I just stood there for a second. It was one of those God moments where I said, Lord, you direct my path. And so I, I turned to the right, and I went to the first house. And this was a store. It was, you couldn't tell from the outside because they just have little stores in their houses. And this was a couple that had been Christians 40 years ago. And the man had started drinking and the wife uh, hadn't done anything about their faith. But they knew God, but they had done nothing about it. And they'd been sitting there for 40 years doing nothing about it. And I shared the gospel. They both recommitted to Christ. And the room there was big enough that they decided they wanted to hold a Bible study right there. Now, the reason this is so important is Miguel, the pastor I told you, had told me that day he was praying for a place that he could bring all these new believers in this neighborhood we were evangelizing to meet. But, but he had nowhere for them to go. And uh, I thought it was amazing how God provided the very first place that I went into after I asked him, which direction should I go, God? That place is where they meet now. And it's room for about 25 to meet right there and, 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 and to have Bible study. There, we, we put together two Bible studies just in my team. Also, there was, a church was planted. The, the other teams had similar experiences where the, the, the doctors, the nurses were sharing Christ. People were in tears. Uh, the spirit was really, really moving on this trip, uh, and it was a really great experience. Amen. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Uh, hey. Wes, can I bring up the...
These guys up here represent two trips, uh, uh, Christian and, and Kirby, and of course Wes also was on the Peru trip Peru that trip. you've heard about. Jeff's getting ready to tell us about Ukraine. Now, I mentioned a moment ago there's ways to be involved. They all did the going this particular summer. All these trips were in July. But uh, you provided, uh, y'all's giving provided about forty to $50,000 uh, that we used. To, there was 35 people between these two trips that, that cut all of their prices in half. It's, it's expensive. And uh, I think with all of these people, it was about $1,000 each that your giving enabled for them to go do this. So when they're telling these stories, you're a part of that. God honors that. God sees that. He respects the work that was done there that enabled them to be there and have that opportunity. So it's pr pretty exciting. Yes. I, I, I said that in the first service. We could not have done this without your help. I, yeah. I couldn't have afforded to go. The, the support of this church was absolutely fantastic. So thank you all very thank much. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Jeff, go ahead. Or Wes. No, I was going to tell you, uh, uh, Jeff is going to share, only, but he was on the Ukraine uh, team that went over in July. But Jeff's got a unique experience in, in telling his story of what led him up to, to go to this summer and then how God is really moving on he and his wife's heart even going into the future. Go ahead and share. Well, missions has changed my life, and missions is continuing to change my life. But it's kind of an interesting story of how I got there because um, my wife and I have been married nearly 25 years, and um, I think if you were to ask her, if you were to really pry it out of her, one of her disappointments was that she had always thought she was going to marry a missionary, uh, but she got an engineer instead. And... <laughs> So for years and years, she and I have uh, we've been going to church, we've been raising our sons, having jobs, moving, all these things. And um, I was aware of missions, but that was something that other people did. I was content to sit back and watch and maybe give a little extra when something came up. Um, but when we joined Colonial Heights Baptist, opportunities began to present themselves. And um, the first opportunity was several years back, uh, our youth group went to Greece and I had hoped to join my son Matt on that trip, but there wasn't enough room, so I didn't get to go that time. But a couple of years later, our youth group sent a trip to uh, St. Vincent in the Caribbean. And that time I was fortunate to go. And I have to tell you, I knew that it would be a great spiritual experience, but my primary motivation for going was I wanted to spend some time with my son Michael. I wanted he and I to have that experience together. I, wanted to, I, I felt like this was going to be more of a, of a growing experience for him than it was for me. Um, so we went on that trip, and um, I remember the first day that we were there, we got together, and we all met on this, this uh, veranda on this building, and, um, and they started announcing the groups, and they announced that I was going to be a team leader. And um, I heard that with some shock and dismay. That had not been discussed with me prior to arriving in St. Vincent. I sort of figured I'd hang back and kind of just do whatever they asked me to do, but what they asked me to do was to take a team and go into a town uh, and lead that team. And that was not something that I had put any thought into at all. So I just had to give that to God because I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to manage that on my own. But we took our team into the town of Camden Park uh, in St. Vincent. And what I found when I was there uh, was that uh, even though the, it was a little bit awkward that first day as I began to kind of get my heart around what our goal was, um, I realized that all we had to really do was to get there, meet these people, love these people, and talk to them about Christ, share Christ. And as we did that, I began to feel a clarity and a, and a, uh, a purpose that I had never felt before. I, I felt as though um, I knew exactly what I was there to do, and there was nothing in my way. 
And our team began to work around that town, and just miraculous, I say miraculous, miraculous things began to happen. We began to have these tremendous interactions with people, and these great uh, things happened. And, and for me, a huge milestone in my life happened um, where I got to be present and be uh, an instrument used uh, by the Lord to help bring someone to salvation for the first time in my life. Um, that's me and Kevin there. Um, and uh, he's an important young man to me because um, he accepted Christ while we were there, and that was very exciting for me. Uh, the other thing that was really exciting about St. Vincent, uh, put, put up the next slide, please. We were there in St. Vincent. We're going around, we're meeting people, and Camden Park seemed like a pretty big town, I thought. But it got to be where we'd start walking around, and we'd see a group of people, and we'd just start walking towards them. And um, we, one time we walked up to people, and, and we started to introduce ourselves, and they said, we know who you are. You guys are those Jesus people that are in town. And I sat there and I thought about that. I was like, you know, that's not really a bad way to be thought of. I mean, that's a pretty high praise, really, if you think about it. And, and, but what was really amazing about St. Vincent was the people welcomed us. They were so friendly. Um, we had to have some really shockingly open conversations with people about their spiritual lives and about their lives in general. This is a group of fishermen. This was so amazing. We walked out onto this beach. A bunch of the kids in town said they wanted to go swimming. So we're like, okay, great, we'll go swimming. So we walked to the beach. We get to the beach. These are fishermen. These guys catch fish with nets in boats. And I just couldn't help but think of the, of the disciples at this time. And we had a wonderful conversation with these guys here. I wasn't fishing. You weren't fishing? That's me. You were fishing too, actually. That's, there. that's a group over there, but that's, that's me right there. Well, which that's one right. are you, Wes? Make it clear to everybody in the... I'm in the, I'm in the white t-shirt. <laughs> in the, in the hokey pants? Yeah. Okay, I had it between you and one other guy. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow... St. Vincent was a wonderful experience, and what I found was, yeah, my son did grow on that trip. My son did have a wonderful spiritual experience, but so did I. And I came back just energized with this. I wanted to feel that clarity and that purpose again. I wanted to have that again. And one of the things that uh, I talked with my wife about was that there were several times when I just felt that I wasn't properly equipped to share with people. So she and I signed up for uh, Jim Reeves' faith class and took that together uh, this past fall. And then we were, I travel a lot with my job. I, I've been all over the world. I go to China, Russia, um, India, South Africa, places like that. And we talked about the fact, you know, why is God sending me to all these places? Why am I here? Why, why is my passport getting so many stamps in it? Is there something that he wants us to do? And then we found out that, that our church is such a, a, a giving us so many wonderful opportunities because not only are we participating with the SBCV and the World Changers trips, we're starting to put together our own mission outreach trips from this church. And uh, I found out about Todd and Veronica Gallagher. I'd seen them around. I didn't really know them, but I found out that Veronica's father, Leonid Solonenko, runs a Baptist church in Kalinovka, Ukraine, and that our church was setting up a trip. So when Miriam and I heard about that, we went to West. We said, we want to go. We want to go. And, you know, we were looking at it. We were like, you know what? This year, for vacation, we're not going to go to Disney World. We're not going to go to the beach. We're not going to go to the mountains. We're going to go to Ukraine. That's going to be our vacation. And, uh, you know, we, we, we did that, and when we got to Ukraine, we had just another incredible experience. A great team of about 15 of us here from this church. Some of them are in here today, and, and you make so many wonderful new friends. Let's put a picture up here, please. Um, what we did when we were in Ukraine was we ran what we called a youth camp. Basically, it was a giant vacation Bible school. We had about 180 kids during the day. And it was the most efficient thing I've ever been to. I was stunned at the support we got from the local 
Baptist there in Ukraine. There are Baptists in Ukraine. You have Baptist brothers and sisters in Ukraine. They're there every, every, every day. Um, and what was really impressive about them is the way they were very open about their faith and the way they were very um, uh, active in their communities. The Ukrainian Orthodox Church is the default church for people who live in Ukraine. And it is a dead church. And it is a church that does not like competition. So much so that we even have stories of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church working with the local mafia to keep evangelical churches from presenting the gospel to people. That shocked me. But what we found, I looked it up online, and I found out that in Ukraine, Baptists are actually considered by many human rights groups to be an oppressed minority. Nonetheless, these people that I met didn't act like an oppressed minority at all. They were talking to everybody. They were going everywhere. And we had a tremendous time with these kids during the day. But that wasn't it, because every night of the week, we had something else planned. One night, we went to an orphanage. These are some kids from the orphanage. This is a orphanage for handicapped children. We went there that evening. We sang songs with them. We played with them. We just loved them, gave them gifts. Uh, it was a zoo. They were just so excited. There was so much squealing and laughter, and uh, it was a great time for us and for them. Next picture, please. This is one of the two probably most profound things that happened to me uh, on the trip. This is a fellow named Valeri. And um, if you take a look, you might notice Valeri's got some kind of unusual tattoos on his shoulders. Valeri was a, uh, an inmate in the Soviet prison system. He had been a prisoner. And uh, he had had a pretty rough life. He told us his life story, and it was pretty shocking. Um, Valeri had a daughter at our camp. And through his daughter, we gained access to his home. We spent some time talking to Valeri. He talked to us about his alcoholism. He talked to us about his... Uh, drug abuse. We talked with uh, Valeri. We prayed with Valeri. We begged him to turn his life around. He told us he knew he needed to do that, but he wasn't quite ready yet. He wasn't quite ready. He, something was holding him back. Um, we left that house disappointed that night. But about two weeks ago, we got an email from Pastor Solonenko announcing that Valeri and his daughter both had accepted Christ. So we were very excited Amen. that that seed and that, that, that had come to fruition. Next picture, please. Uh, one of the other things that was wonderful about this is uh, that my wife and I got to do this together. And um, we've been looking to have an opportunity to serve together for a long, long time. And the opportunity we had through this church was there. Uh, it was a great opportunity for us to grow spiritually, individually, and as a couple. And then also, once again, as a group from this church, we now have lifelong friends from this experience. So she and I are hoping to make this an annual event. We don't know if it will be Ukraine every time, but we're hoping that every year, if, if the God wills it and if there's an opportunity and an opening available for us, that we'll participate in a mission trip every year. Next, please. Um, here's one of the other things that we did. On the Saturdays, uh, on, the, on this particular Saturday, was, we were only there for really one, um, we took the opportunity to go to a soccer match. Now, the local church in the town of Kalinivka has a soccer team, and that soccer team is almost entirely comprised of the Kalinivka Baptist Church Youth Group. And uh, so we went to play against another town, and uh, fortunately, they, it turned out that the guy who was supposed to officiate the game didn't show up that day. Chris Carr, having played soccer in college, volunteered to do it. So he uh, officiated the game, and uh, at the end of the game, they all agreed that it was a, a cleanly uh, officiated game, no, no bias at all. And then what happened was afterwards, as everyone's relaxing and resting around the trees, uh, we got to talk with people, visit with people, and witness with people. And there's Chris talking to several young Ukrainian men right there. And so opportunities were just tremendous over there. Uh, that local Ukrainian church we worked with was awesome. You guys were awesome. 
the giving that you gave dropped the price of uh, the cost of us going uh, dramatically. Not only that, it allowed us to provide a hot meal for those kids every day of the camp. We found out after we got there, it was our money that provided all the food and even paid for the kitchen helpers that came in and, and cooked the hot lunch every day. We found out that for many of those children, that hot lunch was probably going to be the best meal they had of the, uh, the, all day long. Um, Ukraine is, is not, like Peru, poor, but it is uh, nonetheless a very, very poor country. Uh, even uh, the government's very corrupt over there. Uh, we think we've got budget problems here. Uh, the, pastor, uh, the pastor's wife actually works for the government. She hasn't been paid in three months. They just don't have any money. The government has no money to make their payroll. People are living under those kind of circumstances and conditions. The trip was a wonderful blessing for us. Uh, we think it was also a blessing for the people in Ukraine, and I just want to thank you guys for making those opportunities. And I encourage you, we've got a lot more opportunities coming up next year, and I hope that you guys will prayerfully consider taking uh, time to participate in those as well. All right, yeah, thank you guys. Um, you just heard just a little bit uh, about their stories and how God moved and, and really just opened their eyes to a lot of different things, and they took advantage of opportunities. Um, use this week... To, to meet missionaries, to talk to them, to, uh, to look at the opportunities that we have going on, not only overseas, but just here locally or uh, with our church planner that we're going in Boston. It's a real exciting week coming up here. And, uh, and again, thank you guys for sharing. Thank you guys very much. Uh, you know, folks, on, on, I, I could say two different things about this group of guys right here. On the one hand, they're all, they're all very strong, very active in their faith, growing in the Lord, serving Him. Uh, so faithfully, but on the other hand, I don't want you to separate yourself from these three guys and see them as they, they're, they're something different from you or something different from the rest of us. I, I, I want to repeat what, what Jeff said. Prior to that trip to St. Vincent, you'd never been a part of seeing somebody come to Christ, and, and then you made the comment that you actually felt kind of ill at ease or ill-equipped to even present the gospel uh, and, and I imagine there's more than one person in here that would say that. Now that I understand, <laughs> that I identify with, and yet you see what God did uh, in and through all their lives. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we believe you're coming back. And I want to live this week like you're coming back. When you get back, I want to be found doing what, what you told me to do what you told us to do. And it is very clear in both Old and New Testament that a driving command on our lives is to be this command to go. God, I, I, I spend a lot of time praying about myself and my agenda and the things in my life. God, I want to be praying for the nations. I want to, I want to know missionaries. I want to know people that need salvation. I want to be praying for the nations. God, our money, it's, it's important to all of us. I want the nations to show up in how I use my money. I want the gospel going to those nations to show up in how I use my money. And God, would you fulfill that desire that our feet would go? God, I don't know if it'll take a year or two years or five years, but God, I pray a day soon comes. When most of the people of Colonial Heights Baptist have had an opportunity to go and carry the gospel to, to Boston, to China, back to the Ukraine, maybe to Peru again. God, may this church 
go faithfully, joyfully, carrying the great news of Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.